Welcome to the Elite Coach Podcast, the podcast designed to give personal trainers and online coaches the tools they need to be more confident when taking on new clients, increase client retention by delivering a five-star service, and improve client results through their ability to apply the science to the clients. And if you want more free resources to help you along the way, head over to my Instagram page, at Jawade Graham Coach, where you'll be able to get more insights, tips, and guidance on becoming a better trainer faster. But for now, let's get on with the show. In this episode, I'm going to delve into the importance of understanding anatomy for us as personal trainers and online coaches. I'm going to touch upon imposter syndrome and specifically my experience with imposter syndrome, how I've dealt with it in the past and how I currently deal with it. And last but not least, I'm going to answer a question from Instagram that would apply to you if you offer group coaching. But let's kick things off with understanding why anatomy is important. And for me, anatomy is so important for us as personal trainers because that's the only thing we're actually qualified to do. We're qualified and insured to prescribe and deliver exercise. So if we're going to look at the exercise equation, it can arguably be broken down into two main components. Those main components are on one side, anatomy, how the body moves and how the body works. And on the other side, force. And the exercise equation is essentially how force is applied to anatomy. So when it comes to understanding anatomy, if you do understand it in its entirety, it allows for the creation of exercise, based on the person in front of you. So for an example, if you have somebody doing a leg extension and for whatever reason, the path's not right for that person, they're not feeling the desired muscle, they're feeling pain, or they just can't go into that movement. Well, if you understand the anatomy of what needs to be done to work the quads, you can adapt specific exercise for a specific outcome. So a machine leg extension can be swapped out for a cable leg extension, but that only comes when you understand how things originate, attach and insert, and how they relate to the person in front of you. You can also start to understand how individual structure actually is. So how the femur versus the tip or fib length, or the shape or size of the femoral head, and how it fits into the acetabulum, those things there can impact the squat. And if it impacts how low someone gets, how someone looks when performing a squat, how someone actually performs a squat, if somebody can actually perform a squat, when you start to understand this, this is when you can start to question some of the industry sound bites you may have heard. The one that springs to mind when speaking about the squat is that everybody must squat as to grass. Well, you know if somebody has a different structure, if somebody has different joint requirements or joint outputs, shapes, etc., their ability to squat a certain way may be impacted. Your understanding of anatomy will help you to either explain or debunk that to yourself and to your clients. And if you're able to explain things in a way to your clients, so if your client comes in saying, I want to squat, and you do an assessment and based on their structure, their anatomy, how they perform, a squat isn't really right for them. If you have a deep enough understanding of the anatomy and how it applies to them, your explanation of we're not going to squat now because will satisfy them, but also kind of increase the buy-in. So if they believe that you know what you're talking about, they'll follow you every single step of the way. And that can have a positive impact on exercise, 
but also things outside exercise. So once you get the buy-in from an exercise perspective, when you start speaking about lifestyle, diet, nutrition, everything else, they'll have that same buy-in because they believe you know what you're talking about. So going back to anatomy, when you have an improved understanding of anatomy, exercise execution can become a little bit more nuanced because you have a better understanding of cueing. So when looking at and creating effective cues, you need to know what needs to move to create a contraction or to create the outcome you want. So when you understand the pec attaches here, inserts here or originates here, inserts here, we need to move in this way or this direction to get that contraction. Well, a cue for this person may look like this. When you start to understand anatomy and what needs to move to create the contraction, you can start to dial in more simple or advanced cues based on the person you have in front of you. So one thing that I used to do in the past was have the same cue for every single person. And I would think that that same cue would have the same outcome for every single person. And when somebody said they could feel their pec, somebody else said they could feel their shoulders, I didn't quite know what was going on. But as my understanding of anatomy and how it relates to movement has deepened, I now understand that every cue is not created equal. Every cue is going to be based on what the person in front of you needs, what they understand, and also their anatomy. So once you start to understand their anatomy, that's the deepest layer. That's the first layer. You can start to layer on knowledge, education, exercise progressions on top of that but anatomy provides that base foundation for everything that relates to exercise. I'm going to move on now and talk about my experience with imposter syndrome and this has come up a few times in the past few weeks with the coaches that I work with who are seeing improved confidence and as I guide them through their journey they've actually asked me my experience with imposter syndrome and it shocks them that I have and do still suffer with imposter syndrome and for this podcast I've highlighted three main times where I've experienced major imposter syndrome and the first was with my first PT session. I said in my last podcast that I didn't want to be seen as just a PT and part of that was because the standard of the industry wasn't great and it still really isn't great in a lot of ways but a part of that was the level that I was at. It meant that I was scared that I wouldn't stand out amongst all the crap around me and if I can't stand out amongst crap well, that must mean that I'm crap. And this led me to believe that if I had a better qualification, it would mean that I'm instantly better. But as we all know, that's not the case. And it took me a long time to realise that improvement comes with experience. And every single rep, every single session, I got a little bit better. So every single rep and every single session, you will get a little bit better too. The second big experience of imposter syndrome for me was my first session at M10 and this for me was stepping into an environment that oozed five-star quality. I felt like I wasn't ready, I felt like I wouldn't fit in and I felt like I wasn't up to standard and being honest in that first session it seemed like all eyes were on me. There's a team of six or seven coaches all way further ahead along than me, all with a portfolio of results and all doing the things that I want to do. And it felt like for that first session, every single person in that gym was watching me. Every single person was judging my decision making, my actions, how I was with my clients, how I ex executed exercise, how I set people up. And it felt like it was just spotlight 
and in hindsight nobody cared nobody looked nobody cared it was just a case of nurturing and care and understanding afterwards with how did that session go how was it do you feel like you could have improved anything but again the level I was at my confidence levels and my belief in my abilities at that time led me to believe I was being scrutinized and did that impact my performance potentially I would like to think not but when you feel like the pressure's on sometimes you've either got to kind of sink or swim you step up or you sink and the third time was again at M10 and this was my first live call as a mentor so I was asked to step up into the mentorship where I would be mentoring coaches and I had no idea if I was ready to step up and start mentoring other PTs. I had a few results, yes, but not enough in my experience to be able to step up and start guiding other PTs. And I remember that first live call was supposed to last an hour and I had been on some live calls in the past and at times there weren't very many questions from mentees, which meant the mentors, which I now was, had to fill a lot of gaps with talking, education, guidance, experience, etc. And again, thinking that I wasn't ready, I prepared for that call for about a week. And I had a list of 15 to 20 things that I would say and cover if nobody asked a question. Five minutes into the call, I'd gone through all 15 things and I was just staring at a blank sheet. Nobody was asking questions and it was just crickets. And that had me thinking, I'm not ready. That was right. I was right. I'm not ready. But again, that feeling of you either you sink or you swim kind of kicked in and that was when I started being a little bit more interactive on the call asking questions creating questions creating conversations and managed to get through that first 60 minutes but again every single experience after that was a little bit better so for me dealing with imposter syndrome the best way that I dealt with and deal with it is doing it anyway I now accept that the first time I do anything probably won't be my best work but with each and every single repetition I do I will improve and at some point it will get to the place where I forget the person who had imposter syndrome so now I actively seek uncomfortable situations the first one this year or a notable one this year being when I left a great team at M10 to go it alone and it was a case of for me, oh, my business is going to sink now. I'm going to have nowhere. I relocated from Nottingham back home near the Midlands, Birmingham. And zero clients, some online, but not great. I had a portfolio of results, but I still needed to do a lot of work. And for me, that was a very uncomfortable situation. The second uncomfortable situation is actually right now or one episode ago. And for me, that was starting a podcast and creating a podcast because, again, in the back of the mind, there's always that question of, does anyone care? Does anyone want to listen to me? Do I know what to talk about? And sometimes no. But for now, I've done the first episode. I'm now doing the second ep episode. The third episode will be a little bit better. And in six months, we can bookmark this. I guarantee I'll be a lot further along than I am now. So my advice to you is to actively seek uncomfortable situations. It's to embrace that feeling of inadequacy because you only get that feeling once. The first time you do something, you may have that feeling of inadequacy, but the next time you do something, you'll be a little bit further along. You'll have more confidence and more experience until at some point you won't recognise the person who had imposter syndrome. 
I'm going to move on now and cover a question from Instagram. The question was, how do you train small groups with highly different skill slash strength levels? And for me, the first thing that popped into mind was, what is the outcome that you want from the session? Because group training is going to be really different to one-to-one. So when somebody comes to a group or a class, they probably don't come to get stronger. They probably don't come to improve skill. The likelihood is it's going to have more of a community feel and community aspect with a view of building relationships with people, burning calories, being a little bit fitter. Yes, maybe getting a little bit stronger, but that may not be a priority. So if the outcome of the group is a certain thing, managing your own expectations and managing the expectations of the people that come to that group is going to be really important. So you may not be able to progress from a leg extension to a barbell back squat in the group setting. You may have to meet someone where they're at and just literally maximise where they're at. Yes, you may get a few progressions, but you may be limited in what you can achieve in a group setting just because you have restrictions on the amount of attention you can give one single person. You can also look at progressions and regressions on different stations, which will potentially cater for different skill levels. So again, if you've got some kind of squat set up, you may have a normal bodyweight squat. You may have a goblet squat with a weight in front. You may have a barbell back squat with a weight behind. You may have a hill wedge. You may have a split squat station. You may have a wall that somebody can squat against. All these different progressions or changes will act as potentially a progression or regression based on the person that's in front of you. And if somebody presents something, you can say for you, you are best off doing this variation for this movement and so on and so forth. Leading on from that, you can also look at doing or starting to do mini assessments. So when people think about assessments, they always associate having a couch, having a long drawn out process, 40 minutes where you assess every single thing in the body. But an assessment doesn't need to be on a couch. If somebody is doing a shoulder press exercise, literally just before they perform the exercise, you can say, okay, flex your shoulders. So lift your arms up this high. How high do you get before your back moves? Perfect. You got to here. When you do the shoulder press, that's going to be where you stop. So that's going to be your range. And literally that could be the shoulder. um, That could be the assessment for the shoulder press. For the squat, how far can you squat down before your background? perfect you can get to this depth okay when we put the weight up we're going to aim to get to this this depth and again that is a mini assessment it shouldn't take too long potentially won't take too long but can improve the experience the client has of the service secondly you can potentially do mini assessments for everybody prior to them joining up to your class. So depending on the environment and the setting, you can say a requirement for you to join this, take this class is going to be a little bit of an assessment with me where you have a couple of things in relation to the stations that you likely do or you repeat on a regular basis. You could have a couple of assessments that link into that and they must do that before they take part. And that again will allow you to identify the best exercise for them in terms of progressions and regressions and select the best exercise for them in terms of outcome of what you want. The last thing that I would consider is the upsell to -to one-to-one. That's if you offer that service. So group coaching is a great way to get people into your orbit. It's a great way to let people know that you exist and it's a great way to get people enjoying exercise. But of course, 
when you're dealing with a large number of people, there are going to be limitations. There are going to be limitations in what exercises you can prescribe. There's going to be limitations in the attention you can give to specific people. So if you see somebody that's struggling specifically on a certain thing, you might go to them at the end of the session and say, hi, I saw you had a little bit of an issue with this. I'd love to help explore that book. As you can see, I'm quite limited when I've got 20 other people to take care of. I do what I can during a session, but it would be great if we could explore this in a little bit more detail and you'd benefit from three to four sessions where we dial in your technique of this, the squat, and then we come back into the group setting where you'll have a little bit more skill, a little bit more confidence, and we'll be able to progress the exercise alongside everything else that you've been progressing. And with that, that person can still stay in the group again for that community aspect but for you you get to dive a little bit deeper into any potential issues you identify and then potentially help improve their skill strength levels alongside that group setting those are the four main things i think it's four those are the four main things i think about when it comes to group coaching and catering for different skill levels and strength levels in group coaching hopefully that helps that's it for this episode of the elite coach podcast remember if you like what you heard in this episode head over to my instagram page for more help becoming a better coach and it would be great if you left a rating and review on spotify or apple podcast whichever platform you're tuned in from but until next time 